21, we're continuing our series, uh, Blind Faith, and, and what we're seeing is it's the, the Passion Week. It's the week of Jesus' crucifixion. And during that week, we see time after time where people had faith of a sort. They saw things one way, but they weren't seeing it the way God had intended. Their faith was blind, had some blind spots. And so we're going to continue on in that today. As we do, I want to ask you, though, have you ever, have you ever had your heart broken? And no show of hands or anything. Ever uh, had a parent or a child that rejected you? Uh, a job that you wish you would have taken? Right? Probably all of us have had those things. Something special that was broken, like you dropped the perfect taco, you know, it's, it's heartbreaking. But, you know, we can, we can talk a, a big game about things like that, but uh, the truth is you would probably give almost anything to go back in time and change it, right, to, to fix what was broken, to recover what was lost. And so the Bible is full of love songs about that very thing, full of love songs, pictures of God's heart uh, being broken for his people, pictures of, uh, of, of God uh, longing for them, longing for the relationship to be, to be healed. And so today, Jesus, he's going to um, tell a parable that references one of those love songs that's found elsewhere in scripture. And so we, before we get into our main text, I want to read to you what I think uh, one of those songs was, maybe this was probably the tune that Jesus was kind of humming to himself in his heart uh, as he told this parable. But we're gonna, So we're going to read Isaiah chapter 5, uh, verses 1 through 7. It says, Now I will sing for the one I love a song about his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a rich and fertile hill. He plowed the land, cleared its stones, and planted it with the best vines. In the middle, he built a watchtower and carved a wine press in the nearby rocks. Then he waited for a harvest of sweet grapes. But the grapes that grew were bitter. Now, you people of Jerusalem and Judah, you judge between me and my vineyard. What more could I have done for my vineyard that I have not already done? When I expected sweet grapes, why did my vineyard give me bitter grapes? Now, let me tell you what I'll do in my vineyard. I'll tear down its hedges and let it be destroyed. I will break down its walls and let the animals trample it. I'll make a wild place where the vines are not pruned and the ground is not hoed, a place overgrown with briars and thorns. I will command the clouds to drop no rain on it. The nation of Israel is the vineyard of the Lord of heaven's armies. The people of Judah are his pleasant garden. He expected a crop of justice, but instead he found oppression. He expected to find righteousness, but instead he heard cries of violence. So that's a little bit of backdrop. That's, that's over a thousand years before the time that we're going to be looking at, that Isaiah said this. Uh, so let's pray, and then we'll get into uh, the text we're going to study today. Lord, we thank you for giving us uh, the privilege of being able to gather together and worship, fellowship, study your word. God, we thank you that you preserved it for us, that you made a way for us to, uh, to come to know you through your word. 
God, as we we're about to study it, we, we realize that uh, we don't always live by it. We don't always uh, follow the truth. God, we, we allow uh, weeds to take root in our lives and, and don't bear the right kind of fruit. So we just pray that you would, you would cleanse us, forgive us of that, and bring us close to you today. That we can receive your word, we can be changed by it, we can leave here knowing you better and being closer to you than we were when we got here. And we know that through you all things are possible. So we pray for your blessing on your people, on the message, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So, so like I said, we're in Matthew chapter 21. And chapter 21, it started with, with three different signs. Okay? So we had uh, the, Jesus' triumphal entry. This was the, the, the presentation of the king. And then we had the purification of the temple. And, and then Jesus, uh, there was that real weird event where he, he cursed the fig tree. And so we've, we've seen him presented to the people of Israel, to the people of Jerusalem, in three different ways, really. He, he came in as a king, he came in as a priest, and, uh, and he came in as a prophet. And so we saw that last week, that he begins to teach a series of messages with authority to the people of Israel. And you may recall, if you were here last week, that uh, he started to teach in the temple, and he was confronted in the temple made to worship God, and there's God in the temple teaching, but they confronted him and said, by whose authority are you saying and doing these things? Who do you think you are? And so Jesus responds to their question with, with three parables about his authority and the rejection of that authority. So we, we saw one last week, right? There were the, the, the parable of the two sons, and that's about rejecting the father. Uh, next week, we're going to co- cover the two types of wedding guests and how they're rejecting the urgings of the Holy Spirit. And today, uh, he's going to tell a parable about a vineyard. And uh, some wicked people that work in it. And it's all about rejecting the Son. So we'll pick up there. Matthew 21, verse 33 says, Now listen to another story. A certain landowner planted a vineyard, built a wall around it, dug a pit for pressing out the grape juice, and built a lookout tower. Does that sound familiar? Right? It's exactly what we just read in Isaiah, right? Right away, the, the, these Jewish leaders that he's addressing, they're like, oh, yeah, we know this story. Okay, we're familiar with that. It says, then he leased the vineyard to a tenant, uh, to tenant farmers, and moved to another country. At the time of the grape harvest, he sent his servants to collect his share of the crop. But the farmers grabbed his servants, beat one, killed one, and stoned another. Any of you who've ever dreaded to see your landlord coming, hopefully you've not responded this way, right? This is, that's a hostile response to a request for rent. Uh, so they, they killed these servants. Verse 36. So, so the landowner sent a larger group of his servants to collect for him, but the results were the same. Finally, the owner sent his son, thinking, surely they will respect my son. But when the tenant farmers saw his son coming, they said to one another, Here comes the heir to the estate. Come on, let's kill him and get the estate for ourselves. And so they grabbed him, dragged him out of the vineyard, 
and murdered him. Pretty extreme, right? Now, it's not by accident that Jesus chose this imagery, right? The people of Israel, they, they were familiar with the idea of Israel being a vineyard, of, God, of them being God's vineyard. In Psalm 80, verse 8, it says that you brought us from Egypt like a grapevine, and you drove away the pagan nations and transplanted us into your land. You cleared the ground for us, and we took root and filled the land. Right? They, they know that we are a vineyard. Right? They're familiar with that imagery. So God had, had planted this vineyard, and the expectation was that they fill the land, but also that they bear fruit. And so remember, just before this, we mentioned this, that just before these events, Jesus had cursed a fig tree because he came to it expecting fruit, and it didn't have any. Right? It wasn't fulfilling its purpose. So Isaiah 5, verse 7, we'll go back to that. It says that the nation of Israel is the vineyard of the Lord of heaven's armies. The people of Judah are his pleasant garden. He expected a crop of justice, but instead he found oppression. He expected to find righteousness, but instead he heard cries of violence, right? So they were to yield fruit, and they weren't yielding the kind of fruit that was expected. And there's all kinds of descriptions of what God did to set up this vineyard. But, you know, he put a hedge of protection around them, it says. He separated them from the rest of the world with his law. They were, over and over, they were told to be holy. Right? And all that word, we think, we think that word has uh, more meaning than it does. It means to be set apart. They were to be set apart. The rabbis of old, they called the law of Moses... The, the Seag HaTorah, the, 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 uh, the hedge of the law. They realized that God's word is what made them different. And so he had done that. He had, he had set them up for success. And, you know, a vineyard, it can bear great fruit. Not great fruit, great fruit. Uh, but it takes some care and it takes some attention. So you need farmers, you need vine dressers. To tend to it. And the vine dressers, the farmers of the vineyard, the people entrusted with the care of the vineyard, were the religious leaders of Israel. Right? The, the priests and the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Their job was to make sure that this vineyard brought forth the right kind of fruit. And that fruit, he says, was I, I came expecting justice and righteousness. I didn't find it. When I sent my servants to collect it, they found oppression and they found violence. So Matthew 21, verse 34, we'll look at it again. He says, At the time of the grape harvest, he sent his servants to collect his share of the crop. But the farmers grabbed his servants, beat one, killed one, stoned another. And so the, so the landowner sent a larger group of his servants to collect for him, but the results were the same. Now imagine... If you had some land, and you, you signed a land lease deal with someone. Some of you understand this stuff better than others, right? You have some ground, and someone pays you for the right to farm it. It's still yours, but you, you have this arrangement. And you send someone to go collect the rent, and they murder them. Would you send someone else? Right? 
I'd send the police, right? But <laughs> imagine being one of the, that guy's employees. You know they killed Fred, right? You want me to go? So who were the servants that God that the the vineyard owner sent, and they killed and stoned? Who were those servants? It was the prophets. That's right. Over and over, we see this all through God's word. Isaiah, who we were just quoting, right? Uh, he was cut in half with a saw. He was half the man he used to be when that was over. <laughs> Jeremiah was, was stoned to death. Prophet after prophet was rejected. Zechariah was actually murdered in God's temple. That's, that's bold. As a matter of fact, almost every prophet either had to run for their lives, had to hide, lived under persecution, or was murdered. To the point where the last prophet that God sent, the one who Jesus was just asking them about last week, John the Baptist, the very last prophet God sent, they killed him too. Isaiah 5, verse 3 says, Now you people of Jerusalem and Judah, you judge between me and my vineyard. What more could I have done for my vineyard that I've not already done? Right? Most of us, if we sent one person and they came you know, they, they were harmed, we wouldn't send anyone else. We would just call for justice. We would call the police. God sent servant after servant after servant. He says, what more could I have done? And Luke, Jesus looks at the city of Jerusalem, and he, and he gives, us, gives us a picture of his heart for them that he says, you know, Jerusalem, the city that, that kills and stones God's messengers. I've wanted to gather you together as a hen that protects her chicks beneath her wings, but you wouldn't let me. This isn't what I wanted for you. But, you know, God, he displays his, his love and his, and his patience over and over by sending prophets over and over, you know, so a lot of us, we have this image of God as being, just being a vengeful God, or hateful God, or, you know, we, we see these, these stories of destruction and stuff in the Bible, but the reality is, all those things, they happen after years, and centuries, and thousands of years of God's patience and mercy, so he gave them, he gave them everything that they needed to produce the fruit that he desired from his vineyard. And they responded with rebellion. And as Kevin mentioned earlier in our announcements, he's done the same thing for us. Right? God has given us everything that we need to bear fruit. Second Peter chapter 1, and it's funny, this, is, this verse has come up a couple times over the last few weeks, and this is going to be the key verse in our vacation Bible school coming up in a few weeks. 2 Peter 1 says, By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. 
We've received all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. In other words, if, we, if you've trusted Jesus for eternal life, you have everything you need to live the kind of life he, he wants for you. You have his spirit inside of you. You have his word available to you. In John 15, verse 16, Jesus says that I appointed you, you people who follow me, I, I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. I, I, I designed you to produce fruit. And what's, what's the fruit? Right? And in Isaiah's description of it, he says, he says fruit is righteousness. And that's another one of those words, like holy, where we, we have our ideas of what that is. Someone who's righteous is either, you know, they glow, or, or they're really good at funk music. Or, you know, we have different ideas of what righteous is. But righteous just means right, right living. Living the way you were, the way you were designed. One of the other prophets put it this way. He called righteousness. He says, what, what, does, what does God want of you? To act justly and love mercy and walk humbly with your God. Jesus simplified it even further. He said, love God and love people. That's it. That's the fruit. Just Just love. Of course, there's, you know, he, he describes it in other ways. There's the fruit, the fruit of the Spirit. It's love and joy and peace and patience, kindness. I don't know about you, but I need more of all of those things in my life. There are some people that I have none of that for, right? I have no patience for, you know, people that throw away a perfectly good taco, for example. Or, you know, there are people that really test my patience and my kindness. It's Matthew 21, verse 37. He says, finally, the owner sent his son. Now remember this audience that's listening. These are the, the leaders of Israel. They're, they're familiar with this concept of vineyards. They're familiar with tenant farmers. And they're already aghast that you sent servants to collect your rent, to collect your fruit, and they killed them. That's awful. And then when he says, finally the owner sent his son, they would have been like, what? You don't do that. Not after what they've done. You don't send your son there. He says, finally the owner sent his son, thinking surely they will respect my son. Finally, right? This is his final solution, is to send his son. See, Jesus is... God's final word on everything. He is the final solution. It's his final say on, our, on the condition of mankind, on the world. Finally, God sent his son. He's not going to send any more angels. He's not going to send any more prophets, any more messengers. Now people pop up every decade or century or so and say that they're the net, you know, the new final word. You've got, you know, false prophets and things like that. But Jesus was the final word on it. And, and there's no mistake here. 
These farmers, they don't just think, oh, it's just another servant, right? Matthew 21, verse 38 says, When the tenant farmers saw his son coming, they said to one another, Here comes the heir to the estate, right? They know it's not just, oh, another rent collector. This is the heir to the estate. And Jewish law was very clear that if a land was, was left fallow, if it was left without, uh, without the, the proper family line in charge of it, if it didn't have an owner, you could claim it. All right, so they'd say, here comes the heir to the estate. Come on, let's kill him and get the estate for ourselves. So they grabbed him, dragged him out of the vineyard, and murdered him. See, if there's no heir, you can seize the land for yourself. So if there's no king, I can be king. If there's no God, I'm God. Right? I'm in charge. Now the implication of this rejection is in our next verse. Matthew 21, verse 40. Jesus says, when the owner of the vineyard returns, Jesus asked, what do you think he'll do to those farmers? So he's using this term we, we talked about last week. He's using myutics, right? You, you don't just give the answer to someone. You, you ask questions and you help them arrive at the answer on their own. That's what a good teacher does. That's what a good leader does. And Jesus is a master of this stuff. And so, remember last week he had asked them, okay, I'll answer your question by whose authority. You answer my question first. Was John the Baptist here on God's authority or not? Right? And they, they didn't want to answer that question. So he asked them again, okay, given this situation, what should the farmer, or what should the owner of the vineyard do? Now, to their credit, they get the answer right. Right, verse 41 says that the religious leaders replied, well, he'll put the wicked men to a horrible death and lease the vineyard to others who will give him his share of the crop after each harvest. Right? So in other words, the owner of this vineyard, he will get justice and he's going to set things right. <laughs> verse 42, then Jesus asked them, didn't you ever read this in the scriptures? It's like, bro, do you even read your Bible? This is the stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing, and it is wonderful to see. He quotes, he's quoting Psalm 118 here. This is one of the Hallels, one of the, the songs of ascent. These were the, the songs that you sang on your way to the temple to worship at Passover. These were the psalms that you sang on Palm Sunday, right? This, these were the, this was the psalm, exactly the psalm, that they sang when Jesus entered into Jerusalem. Remember when they said, Hosanna, right? Psalm 118, verse 22, he says, The stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. 
This is the Lord's doing. It's wonderful to see. This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. And you keep reading, and they say, save us now. Save us, please. Hosanna. They had just sang these words to, to Jesus a day or two before. He says, you, you, you know these words, but you know them blindly. See, the, the thought of the time, the popular thought of the time, was that Israel was the cornerstone, right? When they read these verses about a cornerstone being rejected, they viewed that as themselves, right? right? We're special, and we've been rejected by the world. And if you're not familiar, maybe you are, but the, you know, a cornerstone, when you're building something, you need one true point that everything is built on. Right? And so they viewed themselves as that, right? We're, we're the right ones, and everybody else is wrong. And Jesus says, no, you, you've gotten it backwards. I am the cornerstone. When Peter uh, was arrested a couple months after the events we're reading about today, right? about two months later, Jesus has been crucified, resurrected, ascended to heaven, and the disciples are, are, are starting to launch their ministry, and they've been forbidden to talk about Jesus. And Peter, he was walking through an area, and there's a, a man crippled from birth, and, and, he, and he asks for money, and he, he says, you know, silver and gold have I none, but what I do have I give to you in, in the name of, of Jesus of Nazareth, arise and walk. And he does. It's amazing. And then he gets arrested for it. And they bring him to trial. In Acts 4, verse 10, he says, Let me clearly state to all of you and to all the people of Israel that he, this man that I healed, right? He was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, the man you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. For Jesus is the one referred to in the scriptures where it says, The stone that you builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Right? Peter makes it clear. He says, he's the stone that you, you are the builders. The stone you rejected is the cornerstone. He is the foundation and the source of salvation. And you want me to not talk about it. Now, Jesus, he specifically quotes, he doesn't just quote that verse. He quotes two verses. We'll go back and look again. Psalm 118. He says, the stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. Verse 23, this is the Lord's doing. And it's wonderful to see. Or it's marvelous, your translation may say. And the tense of the word you hear, it, it implies a, a constant, ongoing condition of amazement, of awe, of wonder. And so what he's doing is he's, he's, putting, he's, he's putting people into two categories, right? It's either you're in the category of those who rejected the cornerstone, 
or you're in the category of those who are constantly being amazed and in awe of the cornerstone. He doesn't really give room for the middle ground. That's, that's a little troubling, right? Because I think we spend a lot of our time there. Right? I don't necessarily outright reject Jesus, but I'm not living in complete awe and amazement of everything he does and says all the time. Now, the story ends the way the leaders say it should, right? They say, well, the owner of the vineyard should bring about justice and, you know, and, and, uh, and lease the thing out to someone else. So Matthew 21, verse 43 says, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a nation that will produce the proper fruit. Have you ever put something together, assembled like a piece of furniture or the hardest engineering feat of all, a Barbie piece of furniture? If you are a dad with little girls, let me warn you, buy nothing Barbie. Just, just don't. But you assemble something and, and you get to a certain point where... It's almost done, and you look, and there's this part that you're like, well, what's this one for? It's a great feeling, isn't it? And you realize that, oh, that was step two of 112, right? Now, so you've got a couple options. You can try to convince your daughter that, no, it's supposed to be janky like this. The door's not actually supposed to close. It's, you know. Or you have to break the thing down and start over. That's a hard call. I'll be honest. There have been a few times where I've, I've been like, eh. This desk will just always be crooked. That's, this is how we live now. <laughs> Jesus says, I'm... I'm going to take the kingdom away from you, and I'm going to give it to a nation that will produce proper fruit. And, and the word he uses there is, is ethnos, right? It's where we get ethnic, right? It's, it's a kind of people. He's not going to give it to a different geographical nation. He's not going to give it to a different race of people. There's going to be a different kind of person. 1 Peter 2, verse 9 Peter describes this. He says, you're not like that, right? You're not like what you used to be. For you are a chosen people. uh, You are royal priests, a holy nation, right? A set-apart, different kind of people. God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. Verse 44, Matthew 21, verse 44, he says, Anyone who stumbles over this stone, right, will be broken to pieces. And it will crush anyone it falls on. That sounds threatening. Right? He says, I'm, I, I'm the cornerstone, and if you fall on the stone, you will be broken. 
But if it falls on you, you will be dust. Now, Daniel, uh, Daniel chapter 2 talks about uh, this, this time when Nebuchadnezzar had a, a dream or vision of the future, and there was a statue made out of different materials, and, and he was really troubled by it. Daniel interprets the dream for him, and he talks about this, this stone not cut by human hands that falls upon and destroys all these, you know, this statue. And the statue, it represents all the kingdoms of the world. And, but there's one that's not cut by human hands that's going to fall on it and crush it and, and, and it will destroy all kingdoms, right? That's, that is the gospel. That is the kingdom of God. Jesus is basically saying, look, the truth of the gospel, the truth of who I am is immovable. You either fall on it or it will fall on you. And that sounds menacing, but it's not, he doesn't intend it that way. When I first read this, I thought, well, you know, man, there's like no good alternative, right? I either fall and break myself to pieces on the rock, or I dodge the rock and it falls on my head like Wiley e. Coyote or whatever. But that falling on the rock apparently is the, the better of the two outcomes, right? Because one destroys you completely. You're pulverized to dust. The other one, you're broken to pieces, and I guess that's better. Well, I know it's better because that, that's, Jesus is using this language for a reason. In Matthew 16, verse 25, he described having a relationship with him this way. He says, for whoever wishes to save his life will what? lose it, right? But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Right? When we fall on the stone, it's like that Barbie house, right? It's realizing this thing is janky and there's no way to fix it other than to break it all down to pieces. William Barclay great Bible teacher, he, he said this, that he says that the ones who face the truth may have the humiliation of saying that they were wrong or the peril of standing by it, but at least the future for them is strong and bright. The ones who will not face the truth have nothing but the prospect of deeper and deeper involvement in a situation that will render them helpless and ineffective. Matthew 21, verse 45, says that when the leading priests and Pharisees heard this parable, they realized he was telling the story against them. They were the wicked farmers. They wanted to arrest him, but they were afraid of the crowds who considered Jesus to be a prophet. So they wouldn't repent when confronted with the truth. Rather than admitting they're wrong and having a future, they said, we're going down with the ship, boys. We're going to continue in this situation that is hopeless. And they weren't afraid of God, but they were afraid of men. Right? They were afraid to arrest him right there on the spot because other people believed in him. And that's a dangerous thing, you know, that... Pretending something is not true does not make it untrue. 
That's what smokers do, right? We, we know that it causes cancer, but I just pretend that I'm not one of those and, and hope that I get the right luck of the draw. We try to pretend truth isn't truth and just walk blindly. So here's the thing. Are, 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 you, are you trying to occupy that middle ground that Jesus said really isn't there? Right? I either fully reject Jesus or I'm fully amazed and in awe of him. And there really is not supposed to be anything between the two. Now, I, I venture to say a lot of us spend our time there. And Jesus says, that's not how I designed you. He's given you all you need to bear fruit, right? To, to have love and joy and peace and patience and kindness in your life. And you know you need more of it. People around you would benefit from more of it. Barclay said that, again, the ones who will not face the truth have nothing but the prospect of deeper and deeper involvement in a situation that will render them helpless and ineffective. We can be crushed by the stone or we can fall on the stone. We can bring our brokenness and have hope. Or we can continue with things being all janky. You know what I'm talking about. There are things in your life that this just is not working. But I'm just gonna, I keep kind of pretending it is. And Jesus says, I, that's not what I want for you. I came that you would have life and have it abundantly, have, have it to the full. One of his prophets, who we killed, said this. In Jeremiah 17, verse 14, he said, Oh, Lord, if you heal me, I will be truly healed. If you save me, I will be truly saved. My praises are for you alone. Eugene Peterson, uh, in his paraphrase, uh, the message, he, he puts this verse this way, and I love this. Jeremiah 17, verse 14 from the message says, God, pick up the pieces. Put me back together again. I want that. I think you want that. And the truth is we can have that if we fall on the stone. Right? If we, we bring our brokenness to Jesus and go, here it is. I want what you have for me. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you still love and are heartbroken for broken people. That as badly as we want things to be put back together, you want that for us. You want us to be brought back together with you. And God, we thank you that we know you're still in that business of changing hearts and lives. That when we put our faith in you, 
but you say that you make us a new creation. You don't just tape up all the messed up parts of us, but you make us over new. And more than that, you give us new life in you. So God, we just pray that you would, that your Holy Spirit would continue to, to work on our spirits, that we would learn to fall on you anew. God, we bring you our brokenness. And we pray that you put us together. And we pray for those that are trying to live as if there is a middle ground, who haven't come to have a relationship with you yet, and that they would bring their brokenness, and that they would realize they don't have to have everything right. They don't have to have every answer. They just have to fall on you, trust you for who you are. And we thank you, Lord, that uh, you love us more than we can understand. You're more patient with us than we would be with anyone who'd, who'd wronged us. We thank you for that love. And we pray that you come and come quickly. And all God's people said, amen. All right. Ready? Great.